Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Rundown Season 2. You know, one of the things that we always get asked when we're doing real estate syndications is how do you stay compliant and how do you stay out of jail? Well, you know, that starts with a great team and it starts with a great attorney. And one of the people that I know that knows this subject really well that I wanted to bring on the show is somebody that a lot of you know, but it's uh, it's a guy that's only been doing this just under 50 years, right? So just a little bit of experience, but I bring to you guys one of the best uh, syndication attorneys, best known syndication attorneys out there, Mr. Gene Trowbridge. Good morning, Gene. How are you? I'm fine, Shannon. I was wondering what you were going to say, 50, 70, 90. Well, what, you know. 50 is uh, fifty is right about it, combining the, the a couple of things that I've done. That's right. Right. You know, the thing is, I mean, that's that's used to be the way it would go, right? You would you would start something and you would be in that profession your whole life, right? Like, I mean, I've been in construction development my whole life, right? Now we see a lot of people doing two, three, four, five careers, uh, you know, and and millennials not doing any. Uh, so, you know, you, <laughs> you wind up with this, this experience level that is really hard to beat because you've seen You've seen some of the actions. I think we're seeing it right now. Like I remember when Enron happened and all the regulation came out there. And in 2008, we saw the mortgage meltdown and we saw everything happen there. And now we're seeing what happened with FTX and we're, you know, seeing what happened there. I would think that with your level of experience, you've seen why a lot of the SEC regulations are what they are because of the results that have happened because of the lack of regulation. Well, I think that's the truth. And, you know, I had uh, basically two careers in my 50 years. The first part was being a commercial real estate broker, which led me into being a syndicator myself. You said you're in construction. Well, I built uh, 32 self-storage facilities in and throughout Southern California through syndications. And the only thing we, our goal was to build them get them 50% occupied and then sell them to long-term operators. We were never going to be a long-term operator mm -hmm. of the self-storage uh, uh, self self uh, uh, properties. But somewhere along the line, I decided that I'd had enough of that. And at 45, I decided to go to law school. So the last 30 years of my career have been being an attorney, and I went to law school to only be one type of attorney. I was going to be a real estate securities attorney, and I, I never did divorces or family law or criminal law or anything. This is the only thing, the only thing I've done. And yes, I've been, you know, I've been through it, 78 and 86 and 91 and 94. I've been through all of them on different sides. 
you know, not to say that syndicate, there's been some syndication deals that have caused divorces, but you've never officiated the divorces. <laughs> no, I've never been involved in, in yeah. that. It was one type of law. I think people get shot in family law court. I don't yeah. think too many securities attorneys actually get shot. No. So why was it that you did syndications and then went went for your real estate securities law degree? What was the what was the connection? Well, it's really good news. The good news is my business had grown. The last year that I was raising money, I was I was servicing between 850 and 900 investors and we sent out about 2000 K1s that year. Wow. But there are no back office companies to help us with that. Everything was in-house. And maybe if I'd been smart, I would have invented some back office companies like there are today in right. business. But I, uh, because I was successful, I had been challenged by the my broker-dealer community. I raised all my money through the broker-dealers, which wouldn't happen today because of the read industry. Because uh, our, you know, our syndications are a little longer term because they're real estate. And uh, the minute the REITs came out with their liquidity provisions, the broker dealer community pretty much stopped uh, raising money in in this area. So I thought, okay, uh, that's good. I've got some money in the bank. I've got some equity. I've got some income coming for the next five or six years, and this is a great time to go to law school. My wife was working, my kids were in grade school, and I just thought, well, this would be perfect. And it turned out to be a good thing. It wasn't quite as easy as I thought, but it was a good thing. And I was a good enough student to pass the bar the first time and, and take off running. You know, and that's not that's not an easy thing to do, uh, is, uh, is, you know, pass the bar and pass it the first time. Especially the California bar. The California bar is... Uh, is stuff. I took it in February, and the statistics in February are kind of they're kind of skewed because the pass rate in February is only about thirty percent. But mm -hmm. the people who fail it in July, you get out of school in January, you take the bar in July, and the people who fail it rush to take it in February. So more than half of the people who were taking it had already failed the first time. Okay. And who knows if they were ever going to uh, ever going to pass, but it was my first time, and it's not graded on a curve; it's just what it is. And yeah. so I thought that was uh, uh, that was good. So anyhow, I did that, and then I started out, uh, you know, practicing law myself, which I thought I would do. And then over the years, I've had a couple partnerships, and I'm in a partnership today, Trowbridge Law Group, and and doing the same thing and seeing a lot of interesting things. Uh, um, you know, during COVID, we actually had a couple of uh, of our sponsors die. Well, and why I bring that up is the most important thing I think a passive investor should ask. And I guess if you're a syndicator, you probably should know how to answer this question because you should get it. Uh, the most important thing is, Shannon, I like your deal. I've got the $50,000 I'm going to invest. But tell me, Shannon, what happens if something happens to you? Uh, wait a minute, Gene. What you, would you hear? What, what, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no. but it's, it, it, that's, that's, a, that's a stopper of a question. And you know what's funny, Gene? 
now that you say that, I've only been asked that question about four times. <laughs> and the reality is in, in you know, we've raised over uh, almost $60 million and I've only been asked that question four times, right? Yeah, but and, you probably have a, you have a continuity story that you tell. I okay. do, but, but I'm going to tell on myself a little bit because I didn't have that until the first person that asked me that. <laughs> okay, good, right. And he was an attorney and he said, I'll invest in your deal, but we got to fix this and we got to fix it now. Right. right? I and won't so, write an offering. I won't write an offering, Shannon, if you came to me and you said you're going to be the single, uh, the single investor, you know, and, and the more I think about that, the more I understand that's important. Yesterday, I, I did a turnaround flight from Orange County here up to San Francisco and back. And, you know, there were two pilots. Yeah, there were two pilots in the cockpit. Right. Exactly. And there just wasn't one. Exactly. So I think other people know that that's quite uh, that's yeah. quite important. So yeah. uh, that's well, good. That's it came to fruition in uh, in COVID. So. Well, that's interesting because, you know, those are the kind of things. And, and again, back to the experience, right? I mean, everybody wants to see, uh, wants to see the experience of the, of the sponsor, right? They want to see the experience of the, of the guy that's, or the gal that's doing this, the underwriting and the syndication, but they don't often ask, who's your attorney? Yeah, right? no, I don't think any of my clients uh, are asked that and I don't put it in my documents. I started out a long time ago when I was on my own putting it in the documents and and I decided against that. So I don't I don't do that. But you know, I was interviewing a potential new client two weeks ago where the syndicator and his registered investment advisor who has all the money were sitting there interviewing me. And they asked me if something happened to me while we were in the middle of drafting documents, how would those documents get uh, get finished? And of course, I have a partner. We have six people in the law firm, so so it would get finished. But he he just simply turned the tables right on me. And I thought, oh, that's a good question. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, for the guy for the RIA that was uh, that was asking that question, you just became uh, mentioned here. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's funny too, because everybody, you know, and, and that's often what causes more regulation is just these kind of scenarios where all you're really thinking about is today, getting the PPM done, getting the deal under contract, getting the deal bought, getting, you know, the plan started. You never look at the what ifs, you know, that's right. and you know, all the securities laws, Shannon came out after uh, the crash. Yeah, uh, the they 29. always do. They right? always came out. Oh my gosh, you know, and and Congress and the SEC still says the same thing. We are here to protect to protect the passive investors who can't protect themselves. Yeah, meaning the non-accredited passive yep. investors, because all the way through and even up until. 1981, when Reg D was passed, the rules that we're working on today, it's always been, well, the rich and smart people don't need protection, but we need to protect, we need to protect everyone else. So as you know, in in the offerings that we're doing today, and I'll, I'll use these terms because a lot of people have already heard them, 
506B or 506C, you can have as many accredited investors as you want. Yeah. Because, because they're, they're supposed to be rich and smart enough to ask the questions they need to get an answer to, and then they can make up their own mind. But right. in one of those kinds, you know, there's a limit. Congress and SEC's um, method of managing risk is to limit the number of sophisticated investors to 35. Right. Yeah. So, you know, 35 people lose all their money. Okay, fine. We can't protect everyone from everything, but at least right. we limit it to 35. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you look at, when you look at that, you know, some of the regulation comes to protect from what should be common sense, which the more you are in business, you know, the more you know that common sense is anything but common. And, um, you know, but you, you see that. So, so when you're, when you're dealing with rookie investors, you know, what are some of the things that as syndicators, let's flip the table again, right? Let's flip the script. What are some of the things as syndicators that we need to be asking in your opinion of our rookie investors to make sure that they have an understanding of what they're getting ready to do? Well, I think um, product knowledge is important. Okay. Uh, the term that I think we, we see used is we need a, uh, a, uh, a sophisticated is one of the words, a sophisticated investor who through their business or their education is able to read, understand the documents, understand the investment cycle and make a decision for themselves that, or with their advisor, that the risk is something they can, they can deal with. And so I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to expand it. So, you know, I don't know if you build multifamily or whatever, but that's that's been the real big uh, syndication product in the last six or seven years is multifamily. So my sponsors, my syndicators are sophisticated in multifamily. Yep. Their investors are sophisticated in multifamily and everything's going along well. But here comes a sponsor who decides that for better cash flow, we're going to go into mobile home parks. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves mobile home parks. And who? And so my first question is, well, what do you know about mobile home parks, Mr. Client? And then where are you going to raise the money? Well, I got all these investors who've invested in my apartment buildings. And I'm saying just because they're sophisticated with an apartment building investment doesn't mean they'd be uh, sophisticated in mobile home parks. I took a, a three-day course on mobile home park investing. It happened to have been offered by one of my clients. And one of the things they did is they showed us a three-hour video that was taken inside of a manufacturing facility for the coaches. And I'm telling you, mobile home coaches are not built like apartments are. No, and You don't have any idea about the construction of coaches in a mobile home park don't buy a park where you own the coaches. Yeah. Buy the dirt and the slabs, but don't be getting in the business of coach ownership because it's so totally different. Yep. So, you know, that's that's what I think you should do. We should, we should, uh, the investors should have some knowledge of what they're going into. And here's where it gets tough. I'm not sure, Shannon, that the 
the sponsor of the deal, my clients, are in the business of educating the investors. Right. I'm not sure they are. I think investors should come to them with some education. And if they aren't educated right now, the sponsors can tell them. There's probably 20 groups out there that you could take a weekend course on apartment building, investing, uh, investing and analyzing apartments. Go out and get some knowledge. Yeah. Then come back to me because I can't train, you know, my 40 investors. I can't do that. So I think what do you, you think that's you think that makes sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, it really does, because when you're talking about, you know, the other thing that that would do too, Gene, just like for you, when you saw that video, it really let you understand the difference in the construction types, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, probably took you a little bit back more toward your self-storage days that it, it felt like the walls were that thin, right? But, you know, the reality is when the the benefit of that would be, you know, now when you hear an investor or a, a sponsor talk about what he's going to do with CapEx and how he's going to do this and how he's going to do that, the more knowledge you had, the more easily you'd be able to spot the ruse if there was some sort of, right. ah, you can't, you know, we're going to go in and we're going to do a complete makeover, new kitchen, new cabinets, new countertops for 3,500 bucks. Well, there's no way you're going to do that in an apartment. Uh, but you know, you, or, or we're going to take and get the expenses down to 13%, you know, yeah. well, oh, you know, you're not going to do that. And that comes from knowledge and knowledge usually comes from experience and that experience is best given hands-on. Right. All right. You know, I taught, I don't know if you're familiar with what is, what the CCIM program is. Uh, yes, sir. I taught CCIM courses for 40 years. And so I have, plus having been a broker and a syndicator, I have a strong real estate background, probably stronger than my legal background. Right. I, mean, I When I was syndicating, the good attorneys I used drafted all the documents for me. And when I went off to be an attorney, I took all the documents I had, sure. combined sure. into one really good set. And then I've been making upgrades and changes on them for the last uh, the last 30 years but uh, so, so that's very interesting and and you're you're right you you started this part of the conversation with how do the securities laws kind of get where they are well yeah. they're going to get where they are when government identifies that they need uh to make a change and the most recent change in that area was um Dodd Frank when they took the equity from your house out of the calculation of your million dollar net worth right to determine you were an accredited investor i live out here in southern california and there are all sorts of people up and down the coast that yeah. at the time you know had bought a house when they were 35 now they're they're 60 and they're retired and they're living on social security and their houses were three million dollars and we considered them accredited. Yep. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. And, so and, you know, those are things that hindsight would have told you to do that, but it needed the practicality, you know, and that's and that's the one thing that, you know, unfortunately we live in a society where uh, you know, people prey on other people they they take advantage of other people uh that uh that doesn't help that but you oh, know 
I think another one of the things that the, your passive investors should be concerned about is if someone that they they barely know or don't know at all starts to pitch them on a deal. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, you know, you're sitting alongside of someone on an airplane and they say, what do you do? I'm a real estate syndicator. Oh, and you tell them about that. That's fine. Um, but if if they're reaching out to you, aggressively reaching out to you through postcards or mailers or telephone calls or anything like that, and you don't know them, you should, you don't need to know the law, but you should know that's not who you're going to invest with. You're right. not going to send a $50,000 check to some guy by the name of Shannon, who you don't know. Right. You know, just not going to do that. Well, and, you know, um, that's that's another thing that you see that a lot of people don't take into, I mean, most people would think that would be common sense, right? How do you, I mean, you have to have in, in a 506B, you have to have a substantiative relationship with someone. I don't understand why more people don't have a substantiative relationship, even as accredited investors. I mean, I would want to spend some time getting to know the syndication team. I mean, I'm not talking about spending the same amount of time it took me to make the hundred grand I'm going to invest, but maybe at least an afternoon, maybe, maybe a couple hour session, maybe. I mean, I'm I'm literally also, Gene, all the time shocked and blown away how few people are willing to come visit me, yeah. <laughs> see my daily operations, meet my team of wonderful staff before they send me a check for $500,000. Yeah, right? I think that's important. And I think that when people come to me and say, I'm going to use a 506C, because I want to advertise and I'm going to raise money from people I don't know. It uh, Legally, yes. Marketing-wise, tell yeah. me about your track record. Yeah. Tell me about your team. Yeah. Because no one's going to send you the money until they at least see some something about those two things. Right. Right. It's just not going to work. And, so, and that's where, you know, the common sense has had to be regulated, uh, you know, because because it would seem you know, pretty, pretty common sense thing. I mean, yeah, we got Facebook now, we've got Instagram, we've got all these different mediums that people can advertise on, which maybe means that you can get somebody that doesn't have the money to market to you like Charles Schwab does or something like that. But the reality is, what is the track record? You know, I mean, you got a pretty picture and some numbers on there. What what does that really amount to? Uh, and And why would you... Why would you think that an advertisement is going to lure that investor? That's a really good point that I don't think a lot of people think about. They go, oh, I'm going to do a 506C because that allows me to advertise. But without a without a great track record, without a good resume, you know, advertise all you want, I guess. Well, that's why some of the crowdfunding portals are, are very beneficial. Um, the ones that, uh, like, I've signed up for several of them because I want to see what offerings are are out there and how they work, but um, they vet. They don't. They don't advertise that they vet the sponsor. But you're not going to get on their platform unless you have a track record. You've been interviewed. They've done background checks. They have their real estate experts look at the deal. And so I think you. I think you can take some satisfactions or some comfort from an offering that's on Realty Mogul or CrowdStreet or something like right. that. 
as right. opposed to just, you know, genetrowbridge.com, Facebook. Okay, right. that's going to work. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what are the, some of the things that you see that, that, um, that the regulation is really helping uh, investors to get right? Not, you know. Okay, one of the things that we saw when, um, in two, year, two years ago, they changed the definition of accredited investor. And I didn't think that was going to be very major because of how they changed it. But there were three things that came about that I thought were good. They didn't change the million and the 200,000, but related to the million and the 200,000, they brought in the definition of spousal equivalent. There are all sorts of households in the United States where there are two people living together with jobs, with net worth, whatever, but they're not married. And the original rule was you could have as income, you could have $300,000 a year to qualify as accredited if you're married filing a joint return. If not, it was $200,000 per individual. Okay, so now we had the, all these households that you're really going to have to have $400,000. And each person's going to have their have to have their own two. And so now they said, well, I mean, I know I'm a little older than you are. And I know a number of people uh, who live together who are older and collectively they qualify and collectively they'll invest. And then there are all sorts of other types of uh, relationships that are out there uh, that aren't married. And I think that was an action on part of the SEC to um help to 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 help um, capital formation. I think right. that was. Then the other one was that, um, oh, stockbrokers, people who are licensed and educated and all that stuff to work in the securities industry, right. we don't really need to need to know how much money they make. They've already been tested and fingerprinted and all that. So we'll just let them invest. Right. And then the third one was really opening up the entity world, where if there's a family office and all the people in the family office, you don't know if they're individually accredited or not accredited or, or a minor or whatever. And so they they tweaked the rule a little bit and said, if an entity has assets, not net worth, which I think. That's what it used to be, but it now just came to assets. If you have assets of $5 million, we're not going to worry about who the members are. The entity is accredited. Um, if it's less than $5 million and the entity wants to invest, you have to go through the entity and check each individual to see if they're accredited or sophisticated. But with $5 million, which isn't all that much in today's economy, right. they're accredited. And those things, I think, I, I see those all the time. And I know that that's helping uh, capital formation. Yeah. Well, and I think, you that, know, that's all that this is about, private placements. I'm right. bore you with some statistics. Every year, the SEC comes out with research. And they come out in March. So the last one I'm, I'm dealing with was last March. So in the 12 months leading up to that, the private placement industry uh, generated, according to Form D's, uh, filed with the SEC, $2.2 trillion. 
that's more than Wall Street raised on all the IPOs in the same uh, 12-month period. And yeah. 95% of the money that's raised in the private placement industry is raised in 506B. Right. And, you know, that's the thing too, you know, Gene, most of the stuff I do is 506B. In fact, I, I've only done a couple of 506Cs for various reasons. But the reason I like the 506B is for all the reasons that you talked about, it forces people to talk with me. It forces people to get into an intimate conversation with me to understand who I am. But more than that, it allows me to understand who they are. And what better way to meet the need and the want and the desire of the money capital guy than to know what he wants. The last thing you want to do is shove a square peg in a round hole, a guy that only wants self-storage, get him into your mobile home park in Kansas. Right? No, that's a, that's a terrible, that's a, a terrible deal. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that's important. My, and plus check the box, the check yeah. the box self-certification, uh, I think is crucial. My most prolific syndicator, Shannon, since 2014, when their firm became a client of mine, has done 164 offerings. Yeah. Everyone is 506B. Everyone is accredited investors only. Check the box. Right. And I would say for the last five or six years, his, his database is closed. Not taking any new investors. He's got plenty of investors. He knows them all. He yeah. knows how it works. Yeah. What satisfaction that must be. Right. And that's a business boy. run well, right? Yeah. I mean, that, the, those are, uh, unfortunately, it's not businesses like that that cause regulation. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, and I think the more you do this, Shannon, the more at least I learned that um, it's a people business, really more than a real estate business, even though we were building. Uh, storage. I had a partner who knew how to pour concrete and we poured enough concrete to flatten the earth, you know? Yeah. So, but I didn't know anything about that. So right. I raised the money, he did the project and all my work was with people. Yeah. So not everyone can do that. And eventually it got to me. It just simply got to me. And I said, that's enough. Well, if, if, if you ever took one of my educational programs when I come down to, I come down to a slide that I say, what do, what do syndicators say? And I have two things on there. Number one, the care and maintenance of partners can be overwhelming. Yeah. You're going to get there someday. You're going to have to figure out what, what support there is out there in the industry for you. And there wasn't any when I was doing it. Yeah. So many of my big syndicators are using other companies, third-party companies to handle and paperwork. And I don't know if you're there or not, but that's well, you know, that's where I, I, I don't do partnerships, you know, uh, and, and I've, because the care and maintenance has cost a lot, right. Uh, there I've done partnerships in the past. Uh, there is currently, I would do, you know, I've done partnerships with my family and there's one gentleman that I've, that I've had a business partnership with that I would do a partnership with him again. Other than that, they're not worth the effort. Uh, you know, they, everybody thinks that, you know, we're going to be two and three and four of us, and it's going to get four times as easy. Actually, you take the number of partners and you multiply the difficulty level, right? You square it, you know, 10 yeah. partners is a hundred <laughs> times more uh, yeah. difficult. Well, I think that's really the case, but um, 
on my YouTube channel, I have 37 interviews with my, with clients and uh, successful clients and a couple of rookies, absolute rookies. And yeah. I always, I asked everyone three questions. How did you get started? What do you think is going to happen in the next three years? And what advice do you have for rookies? And without exception, they all got started because they didn't have enough money to buy this first fierce piece of real estate that they ran into uh, that they needed other investors. So my argument always with people when they, when they call me and I think it's a homework call and they just want to talk about the business. Right. And if you don't have to syndicate, don't. Right. If yeah. you've got enough money to buy whatever you need, you're satisfied with it, don't get into the people business. Just, right. just fine. And, you know, I have some of the groups I'm involved with, they have passive investors who might have invested in 20, 25, 30 syndications. And now they call me and they say they want to be a syndicator. And I just let it go quiet. Then I say, why would you do that? Right. <laughs> Haven't the 25 deals you've been in made you rich? Yes. Well, let's just keep going. Right. <laughs> Unless you but Don't that's where a lot of people want to go fast, right? They see they see syndication as a way to grow faster. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of times, and and you know, we've had, like you mentioned uh earlier, the FOMO and and the everything has been about multifamily almost a, not exclusively, but the majority of the focus, I would say 70% of the of the syndication focus has been on multifamily in the last couple of years. And most of my work's been outside of multifamily uh, for that reason, because, you know, I, we've done multifamily syndications because you can make money with them, but it doesn't mean it's the most lucrative, right? right. It's just a lot of times it's the easiest to sell because that's what everybody seems to want. Should everyone's lived in an apartment building. Right. Not everyone has rented a mini storage. Not or, everyone has worked in a in a in a Walgreens or you know, right. So it's just so easy. Well, the other thing I put on my last slide about what a, what a syndicator say is that the risk is always greater than you expect it to be. And I could make a very strong argument that the risk is directly related to the people. Right. Not the property, because we can manage the property and we can handle the risk. I mean, there are all sorts of things that happen. But out of the blue, here comes a call from an attorney representing an investor yep. who wants the money back. And how yep. could you have put this little old lady in there knowing that it wasn't liquid? Huh? Excuse yep. me. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, uh, you know, and that's uh, that's where a lot of people, you know, that's why the, I like, I love the 506B. You know, I've got the relationship. I'm, I'm talking to my investors all the time about what are you wanting? You know, we're not talking about what do I have? You know, and I think that's a, a major factor that a lot of syndicators overlook is they're out there trying to figure out what they have to sell. What well, you know, when I when I was raising money, when I started, Shannon, um, I thought the selling process was I found the property. I did the due diligence. I went to the attorney. They drafted the PPM for me and I was out selling. Right. And someone who was a very successful syndicator uh, much bigger than I was at the time, uh, sat me down and said, you know, you're going, you're going the wrong way. You're starting at the tip of the iceberg. Right. What you need to do is you need to build a database. Yep. And the database has to be number one, 
made of people who are interested in real estate. Don't waste your time on a guy today who's only into cryptocurrency, okay? Right. A group that, uh, a database that wants real estate. Number two, what part of the real estate industry are you involved with where you see opportunities? Because, see, I don't think you sell a syndication. I think you take people into a, a, a transaction where they can take part of the opportunities that are available. You don't have to sell. So you got to find people that, let's say, self-storage. So we right. got to find people who are okay about self-storage and about the construction industry and self-storage. We buy the dirt, we're going to build it. In three, in years, we're, three years, we'll get it sold. Okay. Right. Do you want you? And in the meantime, there's no checks coming to you for buying groceries. Right. Totally. You know, you're, you're, you're just going to get, you're going to build your net worth. So that's, that's a, a separate group of investors. And then I think the third thing you have to do is you have to show the investors that you put together a team. Shannon, you've put together a team that can capture uh, the opportunities that you think are out there and sell them on the team. Yeah. And, you know, selling them the deal from the PPM is pretty much an afterthought. If, right. you've, if you've got them, first of all, you have your substantive relationship if you go through all that it's for the securities rule. But secondly, if they're into real estate and they're into self-storage and they're into the construction and you, they think you've got a good construction team and investor relation team, just show them the deal and they'll you know, tell them to get their, bring their checkbook. Right. But and, and start I, at the bottom, it's, it's yeah. brutal. I think that that's and I think that that's an important point because everybody else is trying to tie up the deal and then go put it out to a network. And that's why a lot of newer syndicators think that the 506C is the way to go, because now that we have it under contract, and we've got a couple of pretty pictures and you, we got me with a hard hat and a set of plans. You mm -hmm. know, now we can put it out on Facebook and it's going to fill up. Well, right. no, you know, and it is about that marketing. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, Coke doesn't continue to market their product because they need you to understand that Coca-Cola is a nice, delicious beverage. They continue to market so they stay ahead of everybody else. They stay top of mind. And I think that a lot of people don't understand basic marketing. I think you're very, very right on that. And I think that if they did, maybe there'd be less syndicators because they wouldn't want to put in all the work up front. There would definitely be less injured investors. Well, you know, in the last five or six years, it's been pretty difficult to injure an investor. But who knows what's coming? Yeah, the thing, no, I, I the think thing that we see on the forefront is is those uh, interest rate caps that people invested a lot of money in to protect them in case interest rates went up. But that was okay if interest rate rates went up one or two percent, but not four. Right. And what are we going to do when it's time to refinance? What happens when the bank comes to them and said, okay, we need more money in your interest rate cap fund yeah. and they don't have it. So I'm thinking there's going to be, there's going to be a series of capital calls in the next couple of years from some of, I can just tell you which investors didn't think they needed uh, that insurance cap rate. I can see that that's that that's going to happen, and then that may very well mean that there's going to be a no from the investors as far as the capital call, and now we've got properties on the market. And I know that's the thought because I get so many calls right now, Shannon, about I want to put together a fund. 
Because if I've got the money and there's blood in the street, I can go out and buy something. You know, I've been through all those. I've been through 86 and, and 94, where there has been some blood on the street, but not everyone has been successful in raising money for yeah. a film and taking advantage of it. But there are people oh. out there with capital waiting for those opportunities. And if you sure. don't have the capital, you'll miss them. One of the things that, you know, now that you mentioned a fund, we are also raising a fund. But the reason that we're raising a fund is because we see that with where interest rates are going, we can take first position on properties and provide a really healthy, very secure return to our investors. It's not necessarily about over leveraging. It's not necessarily about going out and buying something on the cheap. It's about Gosh, if we're going to pay the bank 9%, wouldn't we like to pay Mr. Smith 9% on a well, 70% right. position? I mean, but those are the things that a lot of people fail to realize because they're looking at the fund on something to go leverage more something. But what their struggle is, is they don't understand how leverage is going to work in the environment we're currently in. Which We have some clients who are coming out with offerings where some of your cash, it's in just the typical class A units, which buys the equity. And some of your cash goes into a class B unit, which is a preferred return um, accruing. Right. Not, not a loan against the property, because that wouldn't work with the lenders. But instead of having to borrow $6 million from the bank at whatever it is, maybe you can borrow four and a half. Mm -hmm. And the one and a half accrues at a nice, right. like you said, a nice yield to the investors until there's a capital transaction. And uh, it's a good option today. There's always options, you know. Yeah. Financing has always been the problem in the securities industry. When there's 100% financing, you'd think you'd never have to put together a group, but that's not the truth. No. When there's only 60% financing, you know you have to put together a group. So yeah. financing is it's kind of counter cyclical to financing. So that's that's it. Yeah. Well, gosh, guys, there's been a lot of nuggets in here, and you can definitely tell uh, that Gene's got the experience then and that he's he's done the deals on both sides, both writing them. Uh, being the attorneys for them, uh, but but you, I mean, I, I'm I'm hearing him talk about and 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 you know bringing up his his former syndication days. So, Gene, I want to say thanks for being on the show today. I uh, really do appreciate you stopping by and uh, giving your knowledge to my listeners, guys. Thanks you for bring, being uh, a listener of the show, tuning in, uh, and be sure to like and subscribe and drop us a. Uh, a review wherever you get your podcasts at, whether that's Apple or uh, iTunes or or Spotify. But love to hear from you guys. Leave us a review. If you want to connect with me, guys, connect. send me an email at connect at shannonrobnet.com. Once again, Gene, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Bye. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnet.com and be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.